0: Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So, enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. We'll get to Lamentations eventually. Um, I told Jane that was like a great segue. Hopefully Joshua will answer all the questions about this awful passage of scripture today. That's great. Um, But I want to start off with this. This is what I want to talk about this morning. this is, uh, my wife was kind enough to bring this in for me this morning because I forgot it. I don't know if this is an actual mustard seed. It says it on the, on the thing here, but it's probably for cooking and not for planting. But um, uh, we're talking about the subject of faith this morning. And you don't know how hard it is to hold this little seed. I feel like my hands are trembling just trying to hold this little seed. Um, so there you go, Jonathan. I am planting a seed in your life. Bitter? I don't know. Are they bitter? I don't even know what they taste like. So this morning, uh, uh, the the scriptures that are given to us um, talk about faith and uh, specifically the scripture that we'll get to here in just a moment talks about the mustard seed of, of faith. Before we get there though, uh, the mustard seed is representative of something maybe that we all sense or feel, Um, at least I have sensed and felt this within my own life of faith. Um, With regularity, it has ebbs and flows. Um, But I wonder if you don't share the same experience where uh, when it comes to uh, thinking about how we have faith, um, I feel a sense of inferiority. There are times where I don't think I'm good enough. Uh, There are times when I think I don't do enough. Um, There are times when I think there's always something more I should be uh, chasing after. And this impoverished sense of of faith, where there's always something more and always something that lies beyond us, leads to, I think, um, at least it has in my life, an impoverished sense of life. And so as followers of Jesus, you know, one of the things that we want to mirror to the world is a a beautiful and rich life that is made that way because of God's presence uh, with us in our life. Um, However... um, sometimes that that sense of beauty isn't given quite as much or as fully as it could be because we have an impoverished sense of ourselves where we could always be more, we could always do more, we could always have more faith. Now, this isn't very different. The way this this sense of impoverishment um, and inferiority isn't uh, very different from the world. It's the same thing that the world uh, shares and and goes through as well it's just categorically different so in the world we feel inferior or less than when we compare what we have or what we don't have who we are or who we aren't uh, what we're able to do or not do even our health in the world we compare our health and and those things to others we could always do more or be more or we could do more to become healthy and all those kinds of things when we, when we treat pursuing faith uh, in the way the world treats pursuing more, um, it, it seems like faith really doesn't make a difference. It's just another way of coping with the world. Um, when we have this impoverished inferiority uh, that has crept into our understanding of faith and, and how we understand following Jesus... Um, and so when, when we think about faith in the context of the church and when we think about how the world reacts to uh, or responds to or um, embodies a sense of inferiority, we see a lot of similarities. Um, there's always more we could do. There's always more we could be, all those kinds of things. And what that leads to is not a beautiful life, not a life that is full, not a life that is full of the spirit, not a life that's different at all. Um, it's... It, The experience is the same. The categories are are simply different, but the experience is shared. And so, uh, inside the church and outside the church, I think this leads to people who are just tired. Um, Whether we're in the church or not, we're, we're tired of chasing, we're tired of feeling like we're not enough, there's more that we could do, all those kinds of things. And, and this sense of inferiority, then, and poverty, we bring to the reading of Scripture. Uh, so the, the way that we associate in, in our lives, then, we read the, the Scriptures through that kind of lens, and specifically, we read this mustard seed uh, Scripture through that lens. And so I want to just take verses 5 and 6 first in Luke chapter 17 and help us think about how we understand this concept called faith. What exactly does faith mean? What does it mean to have faith? Um, So uh, read along with me verses 5 and 6 in Luke chapter 17. The apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And this is how Jesus replied. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Let's just stop there before we move on. Uh, if you're like me, the first reading, and, and sometimes uh, it's good to do multiple readings of the scripture because sometimes the, the condition of our minds lead to what I call a first reading. And so my first reading of this says, man, Jesus is a really snarky and impatient teacher. Like guys, if you only had this much faith, then you could do uh, this extraordinary thing you can move trees you could move mountains um, this kind of thought process leaks into our worship songs right mighty save, savior you can move the mountains if we only had as much faith as jesus did then we can move the mountains uh, jeremy put up this picture i thought this was kind of funny uh, the person in front of me pulling off of route 30 had this picture on their uh, back of their car you can't read it, it says faith can move mountains. I thought, well, I must be on an okay track for this Sunday. Um, But the idea is that if I have enough faith, then I'm going to be able to do like Jesus did and move mountains. Um, We think that we hear Jesus in, in his response here. And I don't think I'm the only one, but I think the response that we hear and the tone that we hear of Jesus says something to the the effect that they don't even have the faith of a tiny little mustard seed. We're left with this impression, if only they had this little bit of faith, then, then they could do miraculous things. Then trees and mountains would move at their bidding all they needed to do or all that you need to do is work that faith muscle a little bit more, get stronger in faith, have more faith, and then you can do whatever it is that you're setting out to do. What I want us to notice here is that the sense, there's a sense of inferiority, that we're not good enough, we're less than, we don't have enough. And this sense of poverty when it comes to understanding faith comes from beginning with ourselves. Faith doesn't start from beginning with ourselves. Faith actually is an act that lies beyond ourselves and begins with God and then takes that and makes it a part of ourselves. God makes God's home in us. Uh, So when we have this sense of impoverishment, uh, it's because it comes from starting with ourselves. I don't think Jesus is telling them at all that they don't have enough faith. I think Jesus gets this mustard seed out, or he uses this mustard seed, and it's hard to get these things out. He uses this because he says, you guys are missing the point. You're missing the point. Faith is not something that you attain. It's not something that you strive after and that you get. It's not a goal that you work after and you get, and then all these these different ways of trying to get more and more and more faith. It's not that. He's using the mustard seed not to say, guys, if you would only have this much faith then. He's using it to say, you're missing the point entirely. Now follow along with me as we read the next few verses, verses 7 through 10 in Luke. So Jesus continues with this story. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, now, come down. Have a seat, sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was supposed to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty." So what's Jesus getting at here? Now remember, he's talking to these disciples who are still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. They never quite grasp it. Um, I'm making the assumption, and I think the assumption is safe to to say, um, but I think it's challenging for the disciples not to walk around with Jesus, with this new teacher who's having an impact upon all of the people of God. Um, not to walk around with a bit of pride and arrogance, like we're on the inner circle of things. He's the cool new teacher in town. He's performing cra- uh, miracles and he's drawing crowds and, and they think they're on the in. We see them uh, concerned with who's the greatest. We see them calling, trying to call down fire on people uh, because they think they have positions of importance. Uh, But that's not the way of the kingdom, nor is it the way of faith. So instead of this overinflated importance where Jesus gets out in the beginning of of this short parable, where he's, in some sense, he's addressing the disciples and he's saying, look, you think, you guys think that you're getting a special seat at the table. You know, come here, sit down and eat. You guys are special as opposed to everybody else that's out there. Instead, Jesus says, look, the reward isn't the seat at the table, which is counterintuitive to to not only them, but to all of us, right, in trying to get a seat at the table because that means something. We've attained something more. But Jesus says, look, the reward isn't that. The reward is not that. There's no reward or a special status for doing what you were supposed to do. Instead, the reward is in doing what you're supposed to do. You know your job do it well sometimes we treat faith like this we think that if we do this then God will do something extra special for us if we do this then then it won't be enough for us to just be able to have some food and a place to eat and and a master to look after us but if we do this then we'll get something extra special Then we'll get a better seat at the table. It's always for something more or for something that's beyond us. But belonging to this master's house means that there are things to do and that as you live in the master's house, you will be provided for what you need. I wonder if we've made faith more complicated than it needs to be. We have associated uh, Faith or the idea of faith with the extraordinary or the extraordinary. Think about different, um, different traditions of, of faith. The prosperity gospel, which comes largely from the charismatic stream, has taught us that if we have enough faith, then we'll receive material blessing. Or the same thing goes for healing within that stream, right? God doesn't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to have disease if you have enough faith then. And that's damaged the faith of a lot of people because that formula simply doesn't work. The charismatic stream tells us that if we have enough faith, then we'll experience miraculous encounters with God. The Anabaptist stream of faith tells us that if we have enough faith, we can separate from the world there's a part of the catholic stream of faith focusing on mercy that tells us if we have enough faith then we will give our lives to the poor now please hear me all of these things are good things there's nothing wrong with material blessing there's nothing wrong with separating ourselves from the world there's nothing wrong with giving ourselves to the poor there's nothing wrong with experience wonderful experiences of god The problem is that we go about doing these things in hopes of getting uh, to the table where we're treated as something special, instead of recognizing that we're already part of a household where we're provided for. Let me say that one more time. The problem is that all of these good things, all of these good things that we pursue are done in hopes that we move up in our relation to the table, where we're treated as something special instead of recognizing that we're already part of God's household and God is already providing for us. In other words, we ignore the faithfulness or we ignore faithfulness in the ordinary in search of moments that are extraordinary. And in doing so, we miss the extraordinary that is inherent in the ordinary. I shared this story a couple times with a, a few years ago, a friend of mine had uh, his first baby girl, and as new parents, uh, as many of you might have, uh, are currently experiencing, or maybe experienced, um, you think, I just don't have time for God right now because I have to care for this child. Um, you know, the dynamics of, of your practices and all those things are upended when this new child comes into your life. Um, And so he's like, I don't have time to pray anymore. I I like fall asleep as I'm rocking my daughter, all this kind of thing. And I I was like, Mark, um, have you ever thought about rocking your daughter as prayer? And so it was this dividing line that came down because he was thinking he had to have this extraordinary moment when there was something that was offered to him in the ordinary. G.K. Chesterton says this, ordinary things are more valuable than the extraordinary things. He says, nay, they are more extraordinary the disciples ask Jesus to increase their faith as if their faith battery needs a little bit of a charge. Jesus says to them, You're asking the wrong question. You have what you need. You know what you need to do. You know what it means to be a part of this house, and so simply do as you're told. What if growing in faith simply means doing the ordinary things? faithfully. I wonder if a common misconception of faith is that faith is something you get more of in order to get you out of your circumstance to a place where you would rather be, maybe a place at a different seat at the table. I wonder how much faith actually acts as an escape from what is rather than to a fuller engagement of what is. The writer of Hebrews says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see. Now hang with me here. Have you ever thought as you heard these verses, well, this is what I see and this is my reality. And certainly this isn't what God has for me. And so I want to have faith to get to the promised reality of whatever it is that God has for me that I don't yet see. I need faith to get beyond what is. It's almost like this, I'll give you guys a visual. It's a, a visual. It's almost like bursting a blood vessel to try to get more faith. It's like this, more faith, more faith, more faith, more faith. That's how we treat faith sometimes. Like I need more, I need more, I need more, happen. We think if we get more, if we strain more, we're not doing it, all those things, then something else will happen. And it is a case of missing the point Entirely. Mountains move and the trees stay put and we think that there's something wrong with us. But what is wrong is how we're thinking about the substance of faith. I gave myself a headache doing that, by the way. (laughs) There's like a lot of blood in my head right now and I feel like I'm going to pass out. Faith is not an escape from what is. Faith is not an escape from what is. Faith, rather, is drawing from the beautiful future and the reality of God's goodness and presence, the reality of how things will be, a reunited, renewed heavens and earth is drawing from those things, what we don't yet see but we know to be true, into what we do see. We draw from that beautiful future of what God has for us and what has come to us in Jesus. We draw from that and then we engage with what is. We don't draw from that as a way to escape from what is. We draw from that to engage with what is. So faith is not an escape, but it's an entrance more fully into what we see. It's drawing from the beauty of the kingdom of God into the here and the now. It's learning to see the presence of the kingdom of God in the present, even when that time and that present seems dire or wrong or hard or even evil. So faith is not an escape from reality, but entering into the reality that is in front of you, trusting that God is there, welcoming God there, and becoming aware that God is, in fact, there. Now, let's get to this difficult passage in Lamentations uh, that Jane read for us earlier. I think this gives us actually a picture of what faith might look like. So uh, just some context for... uh, For Lamentations, written by Jeremiah, who goes into exile with his people. And so he experiences suffering alongside of his people. He is a prophet that journeys with them alongside wherever they go. And they're in the context currently of a national trauma. Their entire identity has been stripped from them. They've been removed from their land. And then these are the words that Jeremiah speaks. And so this is poetry, but it's descriptive of their situation as a nation. And it's descriptive for, for them, their nation and their faith was so integrally connected. Because they were supposed to be God's people and God's representatives to the world. This is how Jeremiah describes it. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers, there's no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her young uh, young women grieve, and she's in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor had departed from the daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. There is nothing perhaps more faithful than lament. Lament looks at what is and names what is. Jeremiah doesn't ignore what is. In fact, this is what the false prophets do. If you read back through the book of Jeremiah, one of the reasons that they kept getting into trouble because the, the prophets, their leaders, were saying, you know what, no, 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 everything's good. Everything's good, peace, 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 when there is and was no peace. There's nothing to worry about. That's what the prophets said. But God's prophet Jeremiah names the situation for what it is. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not saying, oh, it'll be okay. He's naming it for what is. He's naming the things that have happened. This is all, if you go back through, this is all poetry. How deserted is the city once so full of people? It's because it's been completely destroyed. All the people have been removed. All the kings and upper class people have been removed. Some of the only people who remain were poor. She's like a widow. She's been abandoned. She has nobody to care for them. She weeps at night. There's this sorrow about the nation. After affliction and harsh labor, she's gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. There's no home for her. All of these things are descriptive. Jeremiah is naming the reality of what is. He's not trying to dodge it. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He names the reality for what it is. Part of the work of faith, this sureness of faith, what we hope for, and certainty of what we don't see, is being able to name that which is wrong, wrong. It's being able to name that this is not the way things are supposed to be. Faith is not an escape into bliss. It is not uh, the opiate uh, of, of the masses, as Karl Marx said. But faith is what enables us to name evil evil and wrong wrong because we know what good is good and what right is right. You and I have vision and a vision of the future given to us in Jesus that gives us a new way in which to see the present. So faith is not escaping from the present but it is engaging what is with what will be faith and the exercising of faith is engaging what is with what will be some of us might want to currently exercise our faith in order to getting uh, to get past something that is happening in our our lives but i want to encourage you with this faith is not to get us past something but it's to get us into it faith is not to get us past something but to get us into the depths of what is going on in our lives it's getting into it with god it's walking into it with god it's walking through it with god it's not getting beyond it It's not trying to get to the other side of it, but it's realizing that God is joining you where you are as you are in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through and that you're not going through it alone. But what is in front of you is actually your opportunity to be faithful to God, to take the small steps of faithfulness to and even if it's stumbling forward at best. Faith is to not move beyond what is, but to engage what is with God, because when God enters into things, God transforms things. God might not change the situation, the, the, the circumstance of your life that you're facing or that we face might not change, but the orientation of our heart toward the circumstance can change, and in it, there is transformation that happens. And so it's the Spirit's renewing work in us that changes us and enables us to face life in a new way, not dodging it, naming it for what it is, but engaging it with something that is beyond our mustard seed ability to do. That's all we've got. I've got less than a mustard seed, right? But I want to engage this, believing that God is with me. I want to engage my life, whatever it is, believing that God is with me, trusting that God is with me. And my act of faith is taking those small steps of faithfulness, trusting that God is with me, even when the circumstances say otherwise. Let me give you some examples. The nurse in the hospital lives in faith as she prays for a patient and bandages their wounds at the seam. The parent continues to love and provide and nurture for a child even when that child is at a particularly difficult stage and maybe not treating the parent as if they even want them around. The spouse continues to be faithful and do the little things even when the spark is gone or the space between them is in a time of friction. Employees continue to work hard and be disciplined, having a good attitude, trusting that their presence has a positive impact, even on an environment that might be toxic. Adults who become parents to their parents find the patience and the perseverance that they need with their younger children as they parent their aging parents. Like all these situations, these are all life situations, all things that many of us across the board, across the spectrum here, face. And we want to get past them. Why do we want to get past them? It, it's like once we get past them, then the next thing is going to be any easier. It's not. The next thing's not going to be any easier. Part of faith is acting faithfully in what is. We don't know what will be. We don't know what will be. So much of that is a mystery. But we do know that what will be is under the rule of Christ, as it's revealed to us in the Gospels. We know that Christ joins us in what is. The incarnation is a once-and-done historic thing, but the incarnation is also the way that God shows up in your life. We are to live incarnated lives, meaning that we embody the presence of Jesus as we go through our lives. It is not just us living our lives, not just us facing the world, but we are facing the world with the spirit of Jesus throbbing through the the blood in our veins. Faith is living faithfully to Jesus in whatever is in front of us because we trust that Jesus is with us as we face whatever is in front of us. Jesus is faithful to and through the cross and gives us a vision, uh, not, uh, not, not only a vision, but a strength to be faithful in where we are. Friends, sometimes this concept of carrying the cross, uh, Jesus said, take up your cross and, and, and follow me. Could that mean That we do as Jesus did and not hope for just ease, but give ourselves to obedience in the hardest of things, trusting God to be with us in the hardest of things as we face the reality of what is and what is going on in our lives. Faith is following Jesus through your one and only life as it is, not as you would have it. Right? Uh, oh, what is that? Uh, prayer. Not as I would have it. God, give me the... Uh, serenity prayer. God, give me the faith. Somebody quote this for me. Because this is totally ad lib and I used to use this all the time. God, give me... the. Faith to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It took a minute. Faith, friends, is small steps of faithfulness. What if you thought of faith that way? That faith was simply small steps of faithfulness. It's not a giant leap. Into the great unknown, it's, it's actually believing that the chasm between the great unknown has been filled and revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And faith is actually receiving that and living it out. Maybe we've made it harder than what it needs to be. I don't think Jesus is saying to us, you know what, if you would only have this much then... I think Jesus is saying, follow me where you are. Follow me where you are. Because I am with you. Friends, wherever you are, that's where Jesus is. And I think this encourages us to have faith and to be faithful. Because Jesus is with you. Amen. I want to... uh, Invite the worship team back up and uh, let's prepare for communion. Servers, you may come forward. I want to give us uh, just a few moments of quiet and silence. And so if you want to close your eyes for a minute or two, take a few deep breaths and just be attentive to what God might be saying to you this morning. If there's something that A thought, maybe, that God wants you to grasp onto, that He has for you, just be attentive for a minute.